0: Hey everyone, we're back. Hi, welcome. This is episode 16. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness. Uh, glad to have you. We were off last week, but we're super excited to bring you um, some of our content this week. What are we talking about this week, Matt?
1: This week we are going to talk about attachment styles and attachment theory.
0: Perfect. So this is a pretty big theme. I personally... Find this topic very fascinating. I feel like when I first encountered it, when did I first encounter it? I couldn't tell you. it Had to have been within the last five or six years. Um, I was like, whoa! This explains. This is a. This is a very interesting way to explain so many things that really interlock. Um, and it, you know, kind of all came around the time of like. You know you think a lot about formative experiences and how that influences your adult perspective and schema and way of taking in the world Mm -hmm. um so i'm excited to talk about this we have lots of talking points to share with you um you want to get started yeah do you want to share some overall thoughts about attachment before we jump in
1: um yeah let's see my well yes i I think I first became introduced to attachment styles or attachment theory when I was in undergrad. Um, my uh, bachelor's is in psychology. And so, um, um, and I did a focus in um, human development. Um, and so that was a, um, a really big part of that. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I guess became a big part of just my training in general, um, with the focus, uh, cause we did a lot of study of human development and psychiatry and, um, and especially with, um, uh, learning about child psychiatry. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a really kind of integral part of, um, the way that we connect with people. Um, especially, um, the more, the, the, the greater importance that we apply to um, a relationship, um, the more likely these kinds of factors are to come and come into play. Um, And a lot of research shows that our attachment style is um, pretty like solidified before we're even one years old Uh, and it, then has great impacts on the way that we connect in like our adult relationships, especially our romantic ones, um, or like our primary attachments in adulthood. Um, um, and uh, yeah, it's um, can maybe be a little disheartening if uh, um, to think that something that you have no control over then goes and affects uh, um, like all your relationships moving forward, but. Um, there are different things that can change, um, like, uh, while our attachment style may be kind of set before we're one, we can develop new working models. Um, that's another term that's used that can, um, adjust, um, our style, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, change the way that we interact in the world. Um, so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's not a, nothing is all totally set in stone.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's very thorough. Appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think we're going to probably dip back into some of those topics about, because I have some personal thoughts and I'd love to bounce those ideas off of your expertise around the ability to sort of look at it, look it in the face in a sense, mm-hmm. and make decisions about it because what we'll get into, of course, is that attachment styles if it has a lot to do with how exactly we develop connection and approach or form connection with others, then of course there are probably healthy ways that it manifests, and then there's unhealthy ways that it manifests. And when we have less healthy ways of connecting with others, it creates conflict and either internal conflict or inter, inter, inter or intrapersonal conflict. And of course, um, while conflict in its own right is healthy and productive, it is also unpleasant and we generally seek to learn and understand and grow by taking those kinds of conflicts on. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so let's start from sort of the very beginning here then. Let's start by just defining attachment, the sort of foundational piece of this. Right. Mm-hmm. My, my lay, layman's definition of this would be, I mean, kind of what we've just touched on a little bit is like, how exactly do you conceptualize? Attachment is the way that people form bonds with one another. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it's it encompasses a lot of the decision making about how exactly you're going to interact with someone attachment has a lot to do with am I going to be close to this person why and how and what do I do to demonstrate closeness right
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think that um, attachment is something that we are both like conscious and not conscious of um, when it's happening um i think it can often be like conflated with love mm-hmm. um, and um i think attachment can be a basic need or it is a basic need that we have um to feel like safe and secure in relationships and um to experience attachment to others um, i mean we've talked about how um, important connection is um, and just uh, how even um, how there's a lot of research that shows that limited connections or lack thereof um, can actually have a have significant impacts on health and lifespan um, so it's something that attachments are really quite important um, and uh, like the theories around attachment um go get back to a psychologist named john bulby mm-hmm. he was one of the original ones too
0: how far back was that oh we're talking how many centuries so let's say
1: i think it was in the i think he was in the 1800s but let me just uh i'm just gonna Use the pull power powers of google yes oh, okay okay help um, us Never mind. It was he developed it in like the 19 probably like
0: early 1930s maybe. Er, that's early 1900. So essentially this concept has been around in its most modern sense. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's been built upon and updated, but the sort of def- the idea of attachment, attachment as mm-hmm. we know it was about a century old
1: yeah and his i mean it was originally as he observed infants um so it was like the caregiver attachment Mm -hmm. um and just thinking about you know how infants are responding when their caregivers um when they are apart from their caregivers or when they're responding to like their needs being met or not
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um crying or um like uh like thrashing around or are they smiling, laughing? Mm. Um, so just these different kinds of cues that would signal just the
0: caregiver's like, sense of interaction with the baby. Yeah, essentially and how
1: the baby or how, and how the baby was responding. Um, when we look at attachment we're, well, when they first started looking at attachment, it was more looking at how a child or a baby is res- reacting to being separated from a parent or from their needs being met or not met Mm -hmm. um and so it was the that reaction could then tell us about how the parent or the caregiver and the child attached Um, Mm -hmm. but the studies would primarily observe um the child's reaction
0: interesting
1: and then Mary... sort of
0: almost like reverse analyze what the sort of caregiving characteristics were that sort of led mm-hmm. to that outcome of that child's behavior.
1: Yeah, yeah, but um, I mean now we realize that it attachment is not purely up to the caregiver. Um, mm-hmm. That a child's temperament can also play a role. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And... I mean, other things like, uh, a parent, it, it might not just be that a parent was not attentive or they were bad. It could be that they were dealing with significant illness, um, depression of their own that made it difficult for them to do like to respond adequately. Mm-hmm. Um, or then if you have a child who, let's say you have a child who has really bad colic or just like cries and cries and cries and can't be, um, consoled consoled, I mean, a parent is going to get really tired of that. And like a, after, after a point, it's going to be hard for them to... Continue to demonstrate,
0: perhaps, be consistent. He- healthy attachment responses or yeah. healthy attachment behaviors. I get that. So I think what I'm picking up from what you're saying here is that they aren't always... Number one, they aren't always even conscious. Mm-hmm. Parents and caregivers may not realize that they are perhaps... Um, what's the word? in a sense shaping those attachments as they're happening because number one, I'm sure that many parents probably don't even, they don't aren't even aware of attachment and attachment styles themselves Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily mean harm. And not to mention the fact that parents and caregivers are their own human beings going through their own stuff as well. And however it is that they're dealing with and they probably have a certain attachment style that they may or may not either sort of pass on through behavioral mechanisms, but maybe even pass on in a hereditary way that there's some of those genetic, like some people are just kind Mm -hmm. of like, some people they're just a little more predisposed to be sad or introverted. And some folks are tend to be just naturally warm and gregarious Mm -hmm. and um, that there is some element of that that probably feeds closely to how you attach, also based on the culture. That you find yourself in. You think about cultures where uh, openness, gregariousness, um, an openness to approach others is socially rewarded as compared to other cultures where um, politeness and not disturbing others and generally being respectful of people's boundaries is a more of a greater social value. Mm -hmm. I think of East, I think of the East West kind of dichotomy if i was going to generalize it right so it's interesting to think that it's such a multifactorial thing and we can't think of it uni- di- unidimensionally as yeah. something that's like our parents did this to us they you know they like they like for- I mean, they forced this upon us
1: yeah oh it's, yeah i mean it certainly is not an intentional thing mm-hmm. Um, um cause then we have to think about like the parents own attachment style and that's going to impact how they Definitely. respond to the child too um which that was given to them um by uh within their first year of life um and if they aren't yeah self-aware um that is uh um can um continue they can continue to just pass that on um but, uh, yeah, it's um, something also. Um, oh, man. I had a thought. Um, but I lost it. Oh, well. Okay.
0: No worries. <laughs> if it comes back it to you, w- it will probably come if back. If it comes to back to you, stop me um, and we'll continue.
1: But, uh, yeah, I think um, more recently than John Bowlby was. Mary Ainsworth, and she wanted to understand this. She sounds very familiar. More. Mm. Um, And so she set up an experiment that she called the strange situation. Um, Strange? The strange situation. In the strange situation, what what she did was she took one-year-old infants Mm. and their caregivers, um, primarily mothers, And she would have them, like, just hang out in a room with some toys and they would play. And then the mother would get up and walk out of the room. And Mary would observe the infant after the mother had left um, and watch what they did. Mm -hmm. And then after a certain amount of time, the mother would come back in the room and um, Mary would observe what the infant was doing, what the infant did when the mother walked in the room. And there were patterns that arose in how the infants responded to their mother walking back in the room. So the majority, and this is where the different styles um, start um, to come into the mix. Yeah. Okay. Um, so patterns the emerged. majority of um, infants responded in what um, Mary um, classified as a secure. Um, attachment with the, uh, what was what she classified as a secure attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, when the mom came to back to the room, uh, or when the mom left, the infant was very upset. Um, would cry. Um, they could uh, um, um, be. They had also another uh, like researcher. I think that was in the room with them as well, and that researcher. Um, would try and console the child um, or like try and play with them Mm -hmm. Um, and the securely attached ones would cry for a while and then they, because like the researcher had been in there with mom like they knew that okay well this person might be safe and so they could be kind of consoled eventually Mm -hmm. Um, and then when the mom would come back in they'd be upset they'd kind of be like mom why'd you leave me of course not talking but like that's how they're demonstrating their behaviors really upset but once mom picked them up hugged them they were easily consoled um, and they would call like it's okay now yeah mom's here it's fine yeah um, and uh, then the next two most common um, and so the the securely attached they that was around like 60% to like two-thirds of the um, infants um, and the securely and then the next were the um, um, the insecurely attached um, and there are, there were different patterns of insecure attachment. There was, um, the infants who, when their mom left, um, they were just kind of like,
0: bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and,
1: uh, and they just went on playing. They could go and like, uh, play with the stranger in the room, the researcher, um, but might even just ignore them. And when mom would come back, they were like, okay, I don't know her. Um, sure. and, I would
0: expect a similarly <laughs> distanced energy yeah
1: and they would be like alright whatever um, but then mom could come and they would just be like cool I guess you can play with me mm-hmm. um, and uh, and those were the um, avoidant uh, infants avoidant attachments um, mm-hmm. um, nowadays I think often are called the dismissive avoidant um, and uh and then the other more common, but still, that was, so these two were about 20%. Um, the other is the anxious um, or anxious resistant, as it is called um, at times as well. Hmm. And when mom left, they were so upset. Um, maybe not necessarily more upset than the secure, in, the secure one initially was, but they Remained. would not calm down. Right. Demon. Um, they and in fact they might even like escalate as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um and uh when mom came back, they were still upset. Mom would pick them up and they would in a way almost like punish mom. Like mom would try to hug them and they'd be like they'd kicking be thrash um, and fight um, them. Um kind of like laying their head in like, Yes, love me, but I hate you. Um Okay. Um like uh, kind of um, trying to pull away, but at the same time, like leaning into mom, cause like they were comforted by mom, but they wanted her to know that she had wronged them and like they needed, she needed to, um, be punished mm. for it. Um, right. and, uh, those who are the, oh, like I said, yeah, the anxious resistant. Mm. And then the last, um, which They didn't necessarily, I don't know that they necessarily commented on them in the initial studies with Mary Ainsworth, but um, later on, and this is the smallest population, um, and these were the ones that were coined the fearfully avoidant. Um, And these were ones that like, they also call them disorganized. They almost didn't know what to do when mom left. Um, Like they might have, they might initially kind of maybe presented maybe like kind of avoidant, confused Um, like they weren't they weren't like that they weren't really upset necessarily that mom left um when she came back it was as if they didn't really know what to do Mm. they like were almost like afraid um and they wanted to like avoid but they felt like they couldn't almost it looked like and so some of them would just like freeze maybe even just like fall on the ground and like um into like crump into a pile and just kind of either like thrash on the ground or they would maybe um just start like running around they might present kind of
0: it's a little chaotic yeah like really chaotic do Um, these did these same children do you think that there was also do you think there was any uh, again i'm asking you as if you were in the room but like based on what you know was there examples of children who actually looked relieved when their parent left the room because i think when you think fearful avoidant if let's say the child fears that parent then it's almost like i can't really be myself until mom's gone mm-hmm.
1: um yeah and so that's where they probably did differ a little bit from the avoidant in that sense is that mm-hmm. um they almost seemed more comfortable with mom away than when mom came back yeah um and uh Um, these are ones that might even, like, go climb into the lap of the, like, researcher that they'd never met before. Mm. Um, like, are you my new mom? Kind of, like... (laughs) Mm,
0: yeah, sure. Um, like, truly, it's not clear the nature of their attachment to that caregiver, mm -hmm. you know? Like, they maybe don't even quite know. Yeah. Which is, like yeah it's it's definitely seems like the most confused out of them mm-hmm. the other ones seem to be I care but I care in a I mean I'm thinking about dismissive at this point I care but I'm not gonna show it right versus I care so much that I'm like gonna be extra mad at you when you kind of come back and the sort of the the latter of which was kind of like do I care? <laughs> yeah. Right. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So in summary, we have essentially four styles. Mm-hmm. We have secure. We have two categories: secure and insecure. And within the second category, there's three more styles. Yes. Uh, Avoidant. Slash dismissive. Anxious slash. What was it? Resistant. Anxious slash resistant, and then we have fearful. Fearful slash avoidant. disorganized uh, Disorganized slash fearful avoidance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that. I didn't th- that's cool I didn't know the storytelling behind I it. it. I think What's new to me is that I certainly know about anxious and I know about avoidant and I know about secure but disorganized was not Was something I only just learned about Really today. I mean, I think I, w- I was maybe vaguely aware that there was more than three but to hear it in more clear terms today. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate hearing that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've talked about what attachment styles are and we've described what the different attachment styles are. Yeah. And I mean, you've been, you've been really great with this. So behavioral, we, we wanted to talk about how do they show up in terms of actual behaviors? And the great thing is that these secondary adjectives do a pretty good job of describing how people respond. Okay, so they form at an early age, yeah, based on whether your needs are met or not. Mm-hmm. In, in the ways in which they are met.
1: Yeah, and or unmet. And like the avoidant, the dismissive avoidant and the anxious resistant, it they probably had their was their parents respond to them or their caregivers respond to them, probably similarly. Um, the differences are potentially um, more, the more in the way like more related to their temperament. I think um, I
0: see that because I feel like and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm butting in here for a sec. I feel like if your needs are adequately met, that's going to generally lead to a more secure attachment. If your needs are generally unmet, that kind of to me says like the parent didn't quite know how to address your needs or they neglected them, right? Willfully or perhaps unwillfully, like maybe they weren't capable of meeting them mm-hmm. or, or they misjudged what your needs were. Or they, I mean, the thing that's challenging is like, this like, or, or they actively um, discouraged or stomped them out. In a sense, suppressed them. Yeah. But this is stuff that I see not happening until, I'm trying to think of what it would what it would look like in infancy, because I imagine when a child becomes of speaking age, where they can start to articulate the things they want, and the parent basically saying like, "No, you can't have that," or even going further than saying, "Furthermore, it is wrong for you to be asking for that."
1: Well, that's where working models can come in. Okay. Am I getting ahead of myself? Um, not necessarily okay but like that's where like even a person who maybe as an infant developed a secure attachment Mm. should their parent let's say their parents die or become super ill and are unable to respond as well to their needs um, or one of them develops a substance use issue and is maybe has aggressive, like, a, like, abusive. like abusive or something like that. Like, um, they can develop a, their secure
0: attachment can kind of fly out the window. Um, so and it they can get can... corroded. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that a lot of it forms from very early on, but it's not, um, I mean, you already said, it's not really a fixed entity per se, but it sounds like it's still pr- really elastic. Yeah. Um, in your mm-hmm. early years and can maybe even be it can it can still be influenced by let's say major life's life events. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine can you can you think of I'm kind of going out of order now but can you think of is it possible that people who are like pretty I let's say relatively fully emotionally developed like let's say by the time you're like in your 30s which I think psychologically speaking most of us are pretty much on the other side of our growth curve it's starting to be more in the slight it's either leveling or starting to go downhill at least biologically speaking physiologically speaking Mm -hmm. is it possible for someone in their 30s or older to have something happen to them that that significantly shifts their view of attachment and their way of operating um yeah so
1: i mean like let's say somebody ends up in a um well I mean, so somebody who has made it into their like 30s and has remained like secure, like with a secure kind of attachment style, Mm. um, it's not likely that there's going to be something to come and like throw it off unless it was, um, I don't know, maybe like some horrific like like enduring trauma. Right. Um, it would probably have to be some kind of enduring, um, Mm. trauma. Like, yeah. inter- like enduring interpersonal trauma, but but like most securely attached people are not going to keep themselves in uh, a relationship where they're having enduring um, mm. interpersonal trauma. Um, okay. Now, like let's say they're it's somebody who's like captured, um, and they end up like being like tortured and brainwashed or something yeah certainly mm. um that could change things but it's not likely to happen under normal circumstances right um and uh because like if they end up with a partner who's abusive they're gonna probably get out yeah you uh, think they
0: probably would have you, that likely these these those people would have already established a sense of boundaries and framework that's like Ooh, this is a no-go yeah like I'm not really gonna go any further than yeah this doesn't work for me
1: this yeah got it mm-hmm. what
0: about the other way around then do you think it's possible for people who perhaps largely exhibit insecure in some way to come around to being more secure
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and that can happen well Especially, I mean, if they're adults already, um, a lot of that is going to have to be self-directed. Uh, or, I mean, it's going to be a lot of their own responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they're in childhood, and let's say they were abused when they were younger, but then they get like adopted into a really like loving, secure family that like meets their needs and is really responsive, that could go a long way to heal it without them even intending it to. Mm-hmm. Um, now, though, an adult is gonna have to be more intentional um they're gonna have to be more because yeah no
0: one's like i mean their parents at that point don't play the same role yeah as if you're when you're a child and you're truly dependent upon them
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and they're gonna have to be more self-directed um and have to learn how to set boundaries and respect themselves and like put themselves first and um and recognize like the ways in which their attachment style are impacting their relationships and um, do the work to um, not only address their attachment style um, challenges, but also only allow people in their lives that will um, help them foster secure attachment relationships yeah. um, and not allow anything else.
0: Gotcha. Okay, there's probably more. I, I, I'm curious to explore and discuss more other ways, techniques and things of how to think about these things, although you've laid out some of them already. Um, but I feel like I want to go to another point we had noted here, which you also touched on, so it, it kind of works well here, which is what are the relational challenges of people who exhibit each style? Right? So let's say you have someone who is, let's start with, we can start with secure, although secure is probably the easiest one to kind of like generally describe. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I I guess what I want to, and we can volley this back and forth a little bit, which is what are some of the behavioral patterns that show up? And what are some of the, let's say, even the common struggles of people who have said style, like. Let's take someone who is like anxious, for example, anxious attachment style. What are some of the common behavioral challenges that they f- often exhibit? What are some of the relational challenges they experience as a result of that? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we can start by, with the types of words that are used and weaponized against them. <laughs>
0: sure let's start
1: there (laughs) like you're so sensitive or (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you're so clingy you're so needy Mm -hmm. um these are the kinds of things that an anxious attacher will probably hear um they're going to um feel like um they are oftentimes maybe unlovable, um, or, um, they're going to put a lot of their own self-worth in their attachment relationships. Um, they're going to maybe have some more, a little bit more emotional dependence on others. Um, have a harder time self-soothing, um, and like, you mean self-regulating. They
0: will, you mean they will rely on others to soothe them? Yes. Okay.
1: They'll, they tend to, um, like require a lot of external reassurance, um, have a hard time reassuring themselves. Um, they fear others will leave them. Um, and, um, uh, they, uh, yeah, have a tendency to, um, hmm, they might...
0: Like, uh, they require a high degree of attention, which mm -hmm. you've kind of alluded to in in more than one way at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, they're gonna have a higher need for that, um, and uh, like a higher need for validation. Mm. Um, they're going to need a little more. Yeah, I guess they're going to have a harder time trusting. Um and it's not the thing is that I think it's confused is it's not that they don't trust the or they that they trust that they distrust the other person the other person's intentions or or are suspicious that the other person is bad. Mm. Um they don't trust that they're good enough for the other person to genuinely care for them. Um, mm. They don't trust that they're... It's a
0: self-worth?
1: Yeah. it's works. And it... Well, and it... Um, it... Uh, yeah. It can have a lot to do with, like, their self-worth. Um, but it's that a lot of times they're... So it's not that they... Like, out... Outside of attachment relationships, that might not be a real issue. Um, but within attachment relationships, they might have a um, tendency to put more of their worth into those. Um, and so if there's any potential concern that, like, the attachment isn't strong, they believe that it, they oftentimes will believe that it's um, their problem.
0: hmm Okay, I see. They'll they'll be more inclined to internalize that issue and kind of being like, I must be the reason this yeah. is going the way it's going.
1: And it might come across to the other person as if they don't trust them or they, um, like, want to, um... They can sometimes, like, pe- it can feel the people sometimes as if they're controlling, um... Mm-hmm. But generally, what's happening is, um,
0: they need a high degree of certainty,
1: and they yes, and so, they to uh, even like
0: function emotionally, mm-hmm. I imagine. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so it can co- it can feel um, controlling, but they often wanna they often need to know um, a lot of things like uh, about like. More, they feel like they need to know, um, anyway, like, um, like maybe what their partner, um, is doing or why their partner is doing it or, um, like, uh, so they might ask a lot of questions, um, cause that gets at like that need for reassurance, um, mm-hmm. and like that need for certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they might, um... I don't know.
0: So let me think of it this way, and I'm, I'm wanting to maybe frame this one way or the other. There's a part of me that wants to do this same exercise with the other attachment styles, but there's also a part of me that wants to speak directly to this one while we're talking about it, which is to say, let's say that these things are sources of relational trouble for said person, but let's not necessarily pathologize them and say that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. That they just create, they can create friction in relationships. What could an anxious person? What could they do to help remedy some of these challenges? So whose responsibility? If it let's say it's their responsibility to address it, how what would you say? So I mean, things that they can
1: do definitely like therapy, um, (laughs) learning how like to self soothe and self regulate. Um, okay. also learning how to recognize, um, what their needs are in the moment. Um, like, am I having, am I experiencing a need for like reassurance right now? Am I needing just some, uh, like attention? Am I needing affection? Am I needing, um, like, um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess I mean, what is the need that I have? Or um, am I um, hurt and I need um, to, like, resolve this, like, uh, maybe this, like, hurt feeling that I have? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Do I have a need for, like, setting a boundary? Um, They might also have a tendency to neglect their own need for space because space makes them uncomfortable and so while they need space they have a hard time taking it because to take space makes them really anxious
0: do you think that anxious attachers then can be prone to loneliness do you think they're uniquely or perhaps particularly prone to loneliness because of the fear of space I I know that's a little bit of a leap in logic, but it's like let's say that they don't have great attachments, like Mm -hmm. in their like adult single person who's kind of like you know doing their own thing.
1: I don't know that they're necessarily more prone. They I mean they they might be more prone to feel lonely even when they're around people. Mm -hmm. Um, but.
0: Because of that heightened need for attention, which they may or may not always get.
1: Mm -hmm. And, like, that difficulty of um, feeling like they're enough. Mm. Um, So, like, uh, um, yeah, like, they might feel, like, even when they're with people that care about them, um, that they're not actually connected to them.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So... I'm hearing that there is some element of being able to identify what your need is and to be able to, I, to be able to perhaps problem solve for a way to have, to meet that need for yourself Mm -hmm. if you're that person.
1: Or to be able to like clearly ask for it.
0: Or to ask for it in a way that is well articulated and kind of like, um, Yeah, just kind of being able to like articulate the need in a way that is perhaps more, I I don't don't know, more assertive, but also more universally understood, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I say this because, of course, what's coming next is talking a little bit about the avoidant or dismissive attachment style. And I can say that that isn't a specific area where there's going to be conflict. Yeah. Where one person's like, I need, need, need. And the other person's like, I don't want to give. Mm-hmm. I, I need space. Yeah. Right? So
1: both anxious... Well, everyone pretty much attaches best to an a securely attached person. Uh, For sure. The avoidant attaches better to a securely
0: attached person. The anxious resistant attaches better. Mm-hmm. Um, so then sort of by extension of this logic, a person who is securely attached is in touch with their needs and feelings and is able to identify them with some level of clarity. And they'll
1: have healthy responses to their partner's um, needs and feelings, mm-hmm. even if they are more avoidant or anxious resistant. Mm. However, they're gonna have their limits, Sure. because if like, the person keeps pushing them beyond their limits, they're gonna be the ones that are like, I'm out. Like, yeah. I, I respect myself more than mm-hmm. this to deal with this.
0: Maybe this is a stupid question, but I feel like there's a need to define it in this moment. What does it look like for someone to securely meet the needs of another per- of, of their relational partner of sorts?
1: Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of similar to, um, like a caregiver child, hmm. um, like, will can they, will they give you their present attention, um, Mm -hmm. a certain amount of that every day. Mm -hmm. Um, will they respond to you experiencing distress appropriately without being dismissive of it? Mm Um, now they don't have to accept responsibility when, for you being upset at them, but like, can they, um, be understanding that you're upset even Mm -hmm. if they don't feel they're at fault, even if they don't like, um like can they be a, sad that you're hurt by something they did but not necessarily um, but, feel burdened but not, not yeah not be burdened but also not in in saying like i'm sorry that like you're hurt that's not to say um like i take responsibility um for that whatever that's um, a key
0: piece that's a I, i'm glad i'm actually glad i asked it's not, i think it's not a, it's not a stupid question i mean i knew i knew that but like that's an important thing is like when Pete, when let's say you have two people in a relationship and things happen and one person feels hurt by the other navigating that space of, are we moving into a place of like, Oh, you're right. I did this thing. i committed this, you know, I committed this act of hurt against you. So now I'm at fault, my responsibility, You're upset because of me, right? I think in some cases, I don't know. Like I, I don't want to diverge too far from this, but I feel like it's worth talking about for a second. There's some cases in which these situations are kind of like, you do take responsibility because you're like, wow, okay, I kind of fucked up. Like I did something, I said or did something that really hurt your feelings, and Mm -hmm. I need to own up to that. But there's also going to be moments where it's like, um, this is not. I'm not did not commit some kind of deliberate and malicious offense against you. In fact, I would challenge you to being like, Why are you why are you reacting this way? Mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry you feel this way, but I don't believe that I'm the source of this problem. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of times we We're triggered by the past. Yeah, we're triggered by the past and we all oftentimes um, can project also mm-hmm. we can be upset about one thing and then take it out on another On another yeah. take upset about one person or situation and take it out on another person or situation
1: Yeah, and projection is gonna be more common to the anxious insecure the Yeah insecure mm-hmm.
0: and anxiously avoidant Okay. All right. Cool. I, I feel like that was just worth kind of delving into for like a second, but okay Let's talk about let's talk about uh, Avoidant slash dismissive now. Uh, well,
1: I want to say one more thing oh, okay with the anxious resistant their communication is going to tend to be more on the aggressive or passive aggressive side oh Um,
0: okay i love this communication style yeah
1: they're probably going to be more likely that way well no i guess i shouldn't say that because they depending on how like anxious they are they also might tend to be just um mm, they might tend to have some passivity but they're going to be more commonly um in the aggressive or passive aggressive side of things mm-hmm. um and a lot of times it's like um like for instance like uh um they could be really anxious about like being separate from their partner um and then when their partner return like when they're they're no longer experiencing that separation um like while on one hand just like with the children uh, or the infants they're glad. so glad that they're back, but they can't, um, they can't, they have a hard time showing it because they're angry that they were ever apart in the first place. There's a contempt. There. Yes. And mm. so it's like, I'm like, they're relieved that the partner's back, but they're angry at them for leaving.
0: Yeah. Which is a really tough thing to, to come up against yeah. in an adult and that's really a A relationship like, between oppression. adult equals. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you think that... Because one thought that's coming to mind now is, do you think that it's kind of... Check me on this. Is it fair or unfair to say that anxious attachment tends to err on the side of highly emotional temperament? whereas avoidant maybe tends to err on the side of very suppressed emotionality
1: yeah yeah absolutely Um, not that
0: there's any so I'll I'll say one more thing which is that not that the suppressed emotion is any less feeling but more so the ability to express that emotion
1: yeah the anxious person is going to be a lot more expressive Hmm. um they're also probably going to be a lot more criticizing um and uh And have a tendency to like put more blame. Well, mm. at least express it more. The avoidant person will probably put a lot of blame as well, Mm. um, but they might be more likely to not express it.
0: Not express it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think this is about this is about expression. There's a part of me that feels like we I can't necessarily approach this in terms of like anxious people are more this way in terms of emotionality and their the experience, it's more so we probably experience a lot of the same human emotions and human cognitive processes, but it's how we choose to display or express or not express, mm-hmm. by contrast, in relation to other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, um, in studies that they've done, like comparing like anxious or avoidant, Um, In similar situations, they tend to have the same, like, physical response. Mm -hmm. But then when tasked with shutting it down, they can manually shut it down. Um, um, Avoidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, like, um, that is a real challenge for the anxious person.
0: Yeah. And in the flip side... Like, if you're trying to encourage someone who is avoidant or dismissive to open up, I imagine it's very hard for them to open up very much like it's hard for um, uh, anxious attachment to, yeah, I don't want to say tone it down, but more so find a place of mm-hmm. find a place of stability within which that emotionality can operate. Yeah, I think I mean I'm I'm, I'm sure as we continue to talk about this. I probably continue to give myself away more and more, but I personally would say I identify a little bit more on the avoidance side. Um and I, I I strongly believe that emotional stability and emotional control is a skill um, that is important to have. Mm-hmm. Um I've also learned that again if if I continued with the, if I I'm accurate in my own premise in my own evaluation of myself as being someone who is a, more of an avoidant personality I Also understand that there is a strong need to be willing to express when you don't feel like expressing mm-hmm. So while I'm quite good at the emotional control part the emotional opening up takes It takes a lot of warm-up takes mm-hmm. a lot of warm-up um, I want to, let's, let's keep going with the, like, looking at the one and working with it. So Mm -hmm. we've talked about what would a person who has identified or understands that they struggle with anxious attachment, what could they be doing for themselves? What about people who are, who care for or love someone who exhibits this tendency? Perhaps somewhat regardless of their own attachment style, what are some ways that one would advise, one would recommend they support this person in a way that feels safe for them?
1: Yeah, so, um, like, be, being willing to, um, like, provide them with the reassurance that they seek, um, being, um, like, willing to give them, um, like, attention where, Like, uh, or you can, or to be, win, get, win, like, to really just be present with them, um, when you are together, um, and, uh, um, be careful of, um, like, how you communicate with them, um.
0: About the, the, the trigger words, like you said. Yeah. Basically, those are landmines that you want to not... Yeah. You don't want to step on those.
1: Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so, like, be careful of how you, uh, like, talk about their behavior. You know, it can be really helpful to, when reflecting how, like, maybe the anxious person's behavior is affecting you, to not, yeah, not use those, um, buzzwords, needy, clingy, controlling, um, like, uh, um, overbearing, suffocating, um, and, uh, you know instead just reflecting like Mm. hey um i'm feeling this way um like um i under or maybe even like empathizing i understand um or i it seems to me that you're feeling really anxious um and like i'm feeling um a b or c like i'm feeling like i don't have any space um or i'm feeling Um, like, um, you are needing more than I can give right now. Um, like I'm feeling, um, you know, just kind of, uh, um, maybe, and then even maybe like we can negotiate here. And like, if you give me an hour, then I can be fully present or whatever. Um, trying to, um, kind of work with those kinds of things. Um, and when setting boundaries, because an anxious, an anxiously attached person is going to have a harder time with boundaries, Boundaries. um, like, uh, um, boundaries can feel like walls to them. Um, and so, um, or like you're pushing them away. Um, and so trying to set boundaries in as compassionate a way as possible. Um, but like, um. Um, allowing yourself to be firm with them where you need to, um, but just trying to really do that in a um, a kind and understanding way.
0: Okay. So, so it's fo- like, if fo-
1: you have a need for space, but they're pushing back, like, it's definitely okay to take the space, just try to do it in a way that, like, is um, kind and um, and doesn't ultimately... Leave them feeling there's, there's worse. Your sort
0: of tone, your tone needs to be one of like, I need, I need a little bit of space right now, and it needs to shift away from things like, can you just, can you, can you like get away from me for a second? Right? Can, yeah. you, can you take a chill pill? Can you relax? Um. Well, so focus on. Focus, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I'm saying those are the exact things that will yeah, exacerbate yeah. the situation. You know yeah. what I mean? Um. You know, I mean, I even think of things like uh, you think of like customer service interactions where it's like, can you please calm down? Yes, yeah. sir. I'm going to need you to calm down. It's sim- it's similar, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like when someone is in that state where they are they are starved for the attention and they have something they need to get across. Being told to calm down or back off is almost more harmful to the situation instead of, I mean, getting in closer and kind of being like, I think I understand what you're talking about. But, you know. Yeah, I think I think we need to reframe this conversation a little bit. Yeah, let's take let's take let's take a moment to breathe Um, Okay, so now let's talk about I feel like this has laid a great stage for how we're going to approach these other ones We'll talk about the other major one which is going to be the avoidant I don't want to leave disorganized off but I I know that anxious and Anxious and avoidant are going to be kind of the major players because they're also the more common insecure styles Mm -hmm. So where do we start with this? So what are the, what are the relational challenges of people who are avoidantly attached or dismissively attached?
1: So yeah, avoidant dismissers they can um, they have a tendency to um, belittle um, relationships um, or like the people's need for connection in relationships, like um they can be more likely to feel like they don't need relationships or connection, Mm -hmm. um, or like want to be, they have a strong preference for being independent and anything that encroaches on their independence, um, feels like a threat, feels like a threat. Um, and, um, and they, um, can have a, they might have a more of a tendency to like, um, belittle emotion um, or emotional expression Mm. Um, Why is
0: that though? Do you think?
1: um, Because it makes them uncomfortable Okay Um, and uh, uh, or because like they believe that it's weakness um, um, or it's something to be like ashamed of or stamped out
0: Mm. Um, and does that come from form, like formative experiences? Do you think having your emotions neglected as a, as a young one is what drives that?
1: If you're treated like emotions are burdens, um, on your caregivers, then you're going to treat emotions as if they're burdens. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, like, uh, they, are gonna have a tendency to like push people away more. Uh, They're gonna have a tendency to be more likely to shut down um, when faced with stress. Um, And they uh, will come across more coldly. Um, They might be come across a little more like calculated. Um, Mm. Might be um more likely to not know not even like know how to describe what they're feeling or what they're thinking mhm um yeah um
0: it's almost almost as if it's a language they don't understand mhm or a re- or maybe even and or a reluctance to share yeah cuz i i was i feel like i was reading a little bit that was saying that like People who are avoidant also sometimes believe they have this like what's the point attitude. Yeah. Right? It's it's an obstacle. Emotions
1: are just in the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um they are a waste of time. Um, they're just uh um, they're just yeah, they just cloud judgment, they um they ruin moments. Um, there's mm-hmm. nothing good that comes out of them. Um, and a lot of emotions are just bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, in the context of a relationship, what would that do? What dangers so does it present?
1: because relationships trigger lots of emotions, um, they oftentimes are not worth it. Um, they uh, are too complicated or they like limit my, they limit their freedom um, they uh, or if uh, or they're going to um, um, create relationships in which like there is limited connection because they refuse to have their freedom be limited um, and Um, they're going to be very non-communicative not transparent Um, they're more likely to be secretive Um, they're more likely to have really like rigid boundaries Um, and
0: uh, um, be stringent or Stiff about them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So tell me this: What are the struggles of someone who is avoidant? What would they? What would someone who is avoidant and not happy about it say about their life?
1: They're gonna say.
0: Because <clears throat> there's a part of me that thinks that they might feel lonely. Yeah. But there's also a part of it that makes me think that they enjoy the solo, the solitude.
1: Well, they're gonna tell themselves that, like, they're better off. But that won't actually be their experience of it. Mm. Um, Not necessarily. I mean, there are some people who are just, like, truly avoidant, like, avoidant personality disorder. Mm. Um, Which, like, they're going to be the, like, hermits living in the middle of the woods. They, like, like, truly
0: prefer to be alone. Yeah.
1: Mm. Um, Now... Their health and, um, lifespan will still be impacted by being alone. Okay. Um, but like, they're, it's so deeply ingrained that like, there's no convincing them otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. like for that way, when it's a personality disorder. Um, but, uh, for just like the avoidant attacher, um.
0: It's very like, I hate people. Yeah. A la Willow Pill. <laughs> yeah yeah for all you drag race fans they're
1: they're still gonna have like a need for attachment but it's going to be really for them it's actually gonna be like um, more difficult to form attachments than like for the anxious person mm. um, because um, they're going to be um, like more dismissive um, mm. and like Keep people at arm's length um, and not let people close because they're also afraid of vulnerability
0: Mm. Do you think that avoidant people sometimes Like I feel like anxious attachment then know what they want but feel like they can't get enough of it If people can't provide the level that they're looking for Whereas maybe avoidant people kind of like in a sense don't know what they're missing Mm-hmm. Or, they might not or, even know what they want right or like they want it they they know what they're missing but their nature is in a sense at, at odds with what they want they're like oh I, I kind of want to have loving relationships I, I want to have a community of people who I love and love me but I can't seem to close the gap mm-hmm. of actually finding what, I mean I will say this was my, this was my adolescence in a nutshell personally um, I often talk about have really struggling to understand how people seem to develop close and deep attachments to one another and looking at, looking at it being like it's like a language I don't know how to speak um, so I could see how it would be like you know either you're not even quite aware or you're so resistant without necessarily knowing that like connection and warmth and that sense of vulnerability is, um, it can be, it's, it's obviously holds the propensity to be harmful and painful, but obviously carries with it the, um, joys of being immensely rewarding and immensely validating Mm -hmm. as well. But I think it's people who kind of like have decided that the pain is not worth the pleasure in some degree.
1: Yeah. Do you think? hmm yeah and part of it is <clears throat> the anxious person has had years of dealing with really intense emotions um, and while they still feel them really intensely they're oftentimes more likely to get themselves into therapy um, I mean uh, much more likely to put themselves into therapy and to try and like work through like because they're like what are these feelings like it's mm-hmm. just so much that they are help seeking um, whereas avoidant people are they kind of um, help resisting mm-hmm. um, and like and of course because they they belittle emotions or think that like they're beneath them or like they are things that are just in the way they're not even going to like they're rare like it's un- it's less likely for them to even consider therapy because that's just hogwash um, yeah, it's almost like,
0: illegitimate it's a li- illegitimate practice to yeah me. what it's a like, waste what, of time I sit here and talk about my feelings Are you yeah joking? like
1: yeah. what feelings like I don't even <laughs> have feelings or like I don't really sure. have thoughts like um, and uh, and so like it's going to be a bit of a steeper um, mm, like climb for them, I guess, like, uh, um, because it is going to take them a lot longer to even, um, recognize first off that there's an issue. Um, they're the ones that are more likely while the anxious person's like, I'm the problem. The
0: avoidant one is like, you're the problem. Um, and so <laughs> it- that's what I was going to actually segue to is that you're describing a situation in which you maybe have someone who is an independent entity who identifies as avoidant what happens if you have someone like I would say I would offer myself up as an example here I am someone who has been who has, is currently in a long term relationship but identify as I would say I self identify as leaning more in the avoid- avoidant side mm-hmm. I'm a recovering avoidant attacher yeah, um, in the sense that I work very hard on being emotionally vulnerable and trying to understand my feelings more. Um, but still, some of the relational challenges I experience are very much along these lines. So out of my own personal experience, I would say some of the relational challenges, once you are in a relationship, if you've decided to engage in one, is this sense of like, how do you operate in a relationship in which you desire possibly more space and more freedom than what your partner desires? That is a challenge in its own right. And I also pose it as a question of like, how do you manage that? How do you talk through with someone who has a lower degree of, who has a higher degree of need for closeness and consistent Mm. attention than you do? And you have a higher degree of need for freedom and space than they do, for example.
1: Yeah, I mean, as someone with that higher degree of need for (laughs) closeness and attention, um, I, uh, it's really tough. Um, and I, a lot of it, I think, does come down to how it is communicated, or how it is, um, how it's, how it is ultimately done. Um, like, I can think of a situation, um, like with my partner who tends to be i mean he's self-identifies as avoidant attacher Mm. um and like um like there are times where he'll want space and it's and i and it's bothered me and then there are times where he'll want space and it and i've been fine with it um now like there can be a number of factors like either we've been getting along really well, like, and, um, I feel like we're really in tune and I feel like, um, we've had some really good, like, attentive time or present time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he wants space and it's like, um, it seems like, like, like a I fair, need it filled. feels like a fair ask. And so it's like, okay. Um, and then there are times where even though that, like, it seems like things have been getting along well or like, or whatever, like. Well, but then, so we, uh, when you throw in like autism in there, it makes it tough because I have a really hard time adjusting to changes and expectation. Um, and so if I've already kind of had in my head that we're going to be doing something together, but he
0: changes the plan needs space,
1: he suddenly need, well, and maybe not suddenly for him, but like suddenly to me, because he hadn't mentioned it mm. until, um, he decided he wants the space. Mm -hmm. um, it can be tough if I don't have like heads up about it. Um, or like, um, if there's, if there's not any room for negotiation where it's like, well, like I remember one time where, um, we had been talking about like when we got home from, actually it was your place. Um, Mm -hmm. and we were going to make dinner together
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and we get home and he was like, I'm, like, getting ready to make dinner, and he's like, I'm going to go for a run. And I was like, right now? And he's like, yes, right now. (laughs) He's like, I need space. And I was like, uh, like, I did, I certainly took issue. And for me, like, if we could have negotiated and been like, well, let's do dinner and then you go run, Mm. um, or something like that. Um, but, uh, like, that would have been a little easier, um, his neg- He wanted to be like, well, how about I run and then we eat? But I was like, I'm, like, super hungry. Like, <laughs> so yeah. I was running hangry there. I was also hangry on top of it. So, yeah. I mean, there are, like, lots of different factors that are going to be at play. But I think if communication can be really transparent and, like, um, and certainly, like, compassionate, um, like, really making sure that various needs are met. But, of course, like... Um, like one thing that I'm having to accept is that like, um, whether if it's something that he really needs and that's just like a boundary he has to put in place, like I need to figure out how to just accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's not gonna, it's not
0: hurting me in any way. Mm. Um, um. Both sides, if, if we're talking about an anxious and an avoidant coupling, both sides go out of their comfort zone in some way, mm-hmm. right? The anxious person has to be like, I need to, I need to come to a place where I understand that this person's desire for space is not a personal affront to my value, right? And on the flip side, the avoidant person is like, I need to understand that like, I'm going to want space, but there's going to be times where I, I need to be willing to break that. I need to cut that. I need to put that wall down. In order Mm. to be more present with this person
1: yeah so he has to like so yeah i have to accept that like his need for space is not him pushing me away or him saying that like there's something wrong with me um and i have to and then he has to kind of accept that like if there are times where i don't I want to ask him to not take space right now, but maybe like, uh, like that I'm not trying to control him mm-hmm. or like, um, that I, I am not saying that he's bad for wanting space. Um, or I mean, but of course, like it all comes down to like, not, it's not just about, um, him having to watch his language because like I said, the anxious person can be, um, Like Pat, like we have a tendency to be aggressive or passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. and so like I know one of my weaknesses is a tendency to be like criticizing, Um, and uh, um, and so like it's something I have to watch really carefully, Um, and like he's gotta watch like those buzzwords of like um, reminding me that I'm suffocating or <laughs> mm, yeah um, so or that I'm meaty or um, yeah only I'm allowed to
0: say I'm meaty <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um, I get that I get that
1: yeah but I think when those when anxious attachers and avoidant attachers are together they tend to have to do a lot more compromising than if either of them were with a securely attached person. Mm. Um, do you think
0: that anxious people attach to anxious and like I can see a world where avoidants don't hang out with other avoidant people, or maybe they do. To me, you know what I picture an avoidant an avoidant um, relationship between two avoidant people would be being people who just like um, pretty much live independent lives, but like share a home because it's like. It's just nice to have some company, but like we don't really have to talk a bunch. We can just kind of hang out and do some, like cook together and do some activities together. Yeah. But like our lives are generally just kind of like our own lives. And then two people who are like anxious attachers being like, we are fully attached to They can to be it. very codependent. We do everything together. We say yes and no to everything together. Right? We hold mm-hmm. hands to go to the bathroom. It's a dream. You're like, you're saying all my favorite things in a relationship right now. Um, Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, but uh, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, there's certainly lots of, like, reasons if we delve into my psyche, but uh, I have a tendency to be drawn to avoidant attachers. Uh, That's
0: one question I was going to pose is I think, is there a certain opposites attract effect happening with the anxious avoidant dichotomy or duality as well. Right? Yeah.
1: I think a lot of times like avoidant attachers can seem secure initially. And every time I'm like, they got me again. <laughs> you feel tricked a little I, bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think
0: that's very interesting. I, I wonder to what degree I, that, that would be a great question to pose. Um, for, for those who are kind of, either already speak this language a little bit or maybe pondering this language or this, this framework a little bit, whether or not you think that's the case um, of this sort of opposite attract effect. Um, but I think there might be a little bit of something to that. I mean, I think that there's, I think it gets more holistic than that. I think there are personality traits that come with being one way or another way and I think those personality traits can sometimes become complementary to one another. Right? So for example, the way that I would crudely characterize my attraction and my sense of connection with my partner is that I'm someone who I'm, you know, strong, strengths, mm, analytical clear headed, generally very rational, um, weaknesses. <clears throat> um, not a very spontaneous person um, I wouldn't say I'm overly expressed I'm, I'm not overly volunteering of my emotions so what happens is like I think when I experience something in the opposite and I'm around someone who is seems to never run out of things to say and like wants to go on adventures and couldn't care less what the next what they're doing tomorrow as long as they're doing what they're doing today there is a raw attraction to that Mm -hmm. because it's like oh how fun how fun and refreshing and I'm curious to know what draw I have for in the flip side what makes me appealing in that sense because I don't know would I be attracted to someone who is just kind of like logical and calculated and you know Um, always level
1: headed in a sense yeah I mean like for me like, I tend to be drawn to more avoidant attachers, I think, because they are more, like, tempered. Um, and, uh, no. Do does that
0: feel stabilizing for you? What mm-hmm. What is the nature of the yeah. interaction? Being like, oh, I feel really, I feel really calm around this person, or I feel like this person really grounds me. Mm-hmm. Yeah?
1: Yeah, but also in, like, um.
0: In a good way, of course. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think um, like having someone who can help me see things from a different perspective. Mm. Um, like my partner is very patient. Um, that's one benefit of being able to just shut things down. Um,
0: <laughs> I am good at offering perspective. Yeah. I will say that about myself. I'm constantly zooming out. Sometimes to my own detriment, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's kind of like, you need to stop zooming out so much and focus on your experience. Yeah. And I
1: do, I have to say that sometimes just be careful of it because it can be invalidating to the anxious person. Oh, 100%. Oh, oh my God. Okay. The number of times that I'm like, like stressed about, like getting anxious about something or upset about a situation. Oh, does he say it could be worse? No, his is, his, um, his phrase is, um, it's not the end of the world.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that doesn't work for you does it no you don't receive that and i'm all
1: clearly it's not the end of the world like yeah (laughs) yeah but it's still something care it's still something (laughs) i mean
0: i'll share something real quick i want to get back to it in a sec because there's a couple questions we didn't quite answer for the avoidance side yet but i will be perfectly forthcoming in this like i literally i had therapy earlier today right so go avoidance seeking therapy um But one of the things I literally said was like, I was having a conversation and you know, I was having a conversation with my partner and there was a moment at which I was at a crossroads in a kind of like somewhat emotional chat, which was like, you're at this crossroads where I can either choose to be more, just more receptive and open and just say like, yep. Uh huh. That is, that is, that is your truth. Or I had the option of quote offering perspective, which is being like, which in practice is kind of like almost like challenging the person to think about it in a different way. Being like, could you maybe imagine a situation in which we might have misread the situation? Can you imagine a world in which maybe our emotions are really heightened due to something else, which are my ways of offering perspective because I'm, this is what I do for a living. I'm constantly gauging the factors that contribute to my client's current state Mm -hmm. someone comes in and says they're tired my immediate slew of questions is like well what do we think it could have been Mm -hmm. right um or they're telling me like something's bothering their shoulders bothering them that day i'm immediate like well tell me tell me what's been happening in the last 48 72 hours my professional instinct at this point my procedural instinct is to immediately start searching for all the different environmental factors and contexts that might explain why we're in a certain state so that we don't corner ourselves into a single way of attributing our experiences. But I know that that's not necessarily what that person needs to hear at that time, namely my partner, which is kind of like, no, I kind of just want, I kind of want to just be believed mm-hmm. in a sense. I want to know that what I'm saying you're truly hearing um, and I, I think in my mind I'm like coming at this from a place of like have we considered everything but that's not how it's received per se is <clears throat> um, there anything else you want to say to that mm, I think um,
1: I don't think it can't be what you want to offer but I think that you first need to offer what he needs, mm-hmm. and then, once that box is checked.
0: Yeah, that rings very true. That rings very true because that's a, that's definitely a common complaint, because I, I get from him in some of these hard conversations is he says like, yeah, sure, you offered perspective, but you didn't first validate what I said. Yeah, and I I'm definitely <clears throat> guilty of doing that frequently. Yeah, because I can
1: um I can relate in that like. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, I don't need my partner to, like, freak out with me, um, but, like, just to be, like, um, damn, that really sucks, like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry um, that you're going through it, and then can be, like, um, like, what can we do to, what can we do, what can we do now to, like, what can, yeah, how can we fix it? Right. Um mm-hmm. that would be good.
0: Yeah. Yeah? I agree with that. Okay, here's the couple of questions that I I don't think we quite got to, which is let's because we posed the question that if someone is an anxious attacher and they know this and they desire to be less so, right? To move in the direction of secure, what would they do? And we talked about some of the things that you'd think about. Now, what about someone who is an avoidant attacher. Let's say they realize this and they're not satisfied with their state of their, their state of things mm-hmm. and they want to move more into secure. What would this person do?
1: Also therapy. <laughs> Love that <laughs> answer. Um, um,
0: Let's assume. Well, okay, go on, go on.
1: So I will, uh, one thing I will <laughs> give my partner a huge credit is he, um, will go on the internet and try to find everything he can um to learn about like once he realized he was an avoidant attacher he like went and found like he started searching for all the TikTok influencers who talked about avoidant attachment either as therapists or as avoidant attachers um like finding trying to find articles anytime we experience a conflict he googles like uh, uh, i'm trying to think um uh, like, why is my boyfriend asking me so many questions? <laughs> like, it's adorable. And, uh, and, like, that That was me. Like, that's one of my ways of, like, trying to get reassurance. Is just, like, trying to know everything. Um, and, like, <laughs> That
0: sounds like something out of a, like, heart stopper. <laughs> like, literally, like, over the shoulders, him Googling. Why does this person ask me so many things? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um...
1: Or, um, yeah, like... (laughs) It
0: still cracks me up.
1: (laughs) I know, it's great. (laughs) Um, but, uh, now sometimes that it can lead to, um, it can sometimes lead down the wrong path. Um, because there's going to be opinions about everything. Um. Definitely. Um, and, uh... But, um, but, like, he'll also try to find, like, articles about relationships or about attachment styles or podcasts or, like, so he does a lot of, like, that kind mm-hmm. of self-study. Um, and that's where, like, because, um, like, the initial phase is, like, a lot of just, like, insight building and building self-awareness, um, which tends to come easier for the anxious attacher um, because they spend so much time thinking about these things. Rather than the avoidant attacher shuts them down before they've had the chance to even, like, consider it um, or Mm. think about it. And so, like, being open to actually thinking about things that you, like, being open to not shutting things down immediately and allowing them to percolate. um, Mm -hmm. um, It can be helpful. Meditation, uh, like, so mindfulness. Um, helps to like get in touch with the internal experience rather than shutting it off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that can be good for the anxious attacher as well because it can help with self-regulation or self-centering a little bit. It's mm-hmm. more
0: like coming at it from different angles. If Yeah. if the centering and the mindfulness is about this middle like kind of getting into the middle of the meter, then for anxious folks it's about bringing the intensity of those attachment needs Back to a place of like, okay, yeah. I don't need my partner to do all of these things for me. Whereas for the person who's more avoidant <clears throat> being like, okay, I'm shutting everything down. Maybe I could stand to open up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some benefit to this. Because I think one of the things that probably presents poses the biggest threat is the discomfort with emotions. Yeah. Not knowing how to handle them because they feel a little wild, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and in, in a lot of ways, I'll again speak a little bit from my own experience. I am both <laughs> very good friends with anger as an emotion, but I also am acutely aware of how societally generally unacceptable anger is. Yeah. So I find myself in this funky place where I'm like, Don't express it, but you're feeling it. But you should express it. But when you do, it's really weird. Yeah. Right? So it's like, because anger is something that, I think we, we talked about this, I'm sure, in the pre- emotions episode. Anger is a, is, was an emotion that was not unfamiliar in our household. Um, and so it's like a language I can speak, but it's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, because it's very conflict-inducing. Yeah, I suppose. I'm getting away from the point here. Yeah, uh, but so like more impulsive if if people if you have someone who is very uncomfortable with feeling emotions and they find it very destabilizing, perhaps working with a professional whose job it is to help them process these things and learn mm-hmm. how to label them, you know. <clears throat> yeah. It's uh. a different kind of maturity that you're trying to reach if you're coming from either side of the mm-hmm. the line in a sense.
1: Yeah, and, and both the anxious and the avoidant person are going to engage in controlling behaviors. Yeah. Um, like, again, not like as if they are, their intention is to control others, but like to control their distress um, or to like control the experience so they don't feel distress or as much. Mm-hmm. And so like while the anxious person is going to um, like they may, their behaviors may seem a little more, like, overt. Um, the, um, um, avoidant person needs to be careful to not, uh, like, engage in behaviors that, like... Because, like, dismissive behaviors or, like, belittling type kind of comments or behaviors are also controlling in the way that they, like, try and dissuade the other person from, um, expressing emotion. Um, and so they try to get their partners to shut everything down too. Um, and so they have to be careful to not, um, like impose that on their partners. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so being open to discussion, um, now both are going to need to find ways to do that so that they can both feel comfortable like, one thing, like, um, um, that was really, like, wonderful, like, on one of the times where we kind of had, like, a, um, a tiff, um, and my partner wanted, he was, like, I need, like, an hour, um, and then, like, can we come, and then we can come back to this, and I was just, like, an hour? (laughs) Like... Because I, I know myself and like, I, if that's where it's like, I have a hard time with the self-soothing because like, if I'm on my own left to my own devices, I tend to ramp myself up. Um, whereas like talking through things with, um, with my partner, um, helps me to resolve the conflict that I'm having. Um, it's not even necessarily an expectation that he... Soothe it for me, but like, it's, leaving he's, something he's unresolved. Along,
0: he's alongside you as you process. Yeah, or it's like about being it's, able to process alone versus process with company,
1: or a, or even just processing it by talking it out. Because a lot of times, like it, I need somebody to bounce ideas back off of. Um, because if I'm left to my own devices, I they can kind of catastrophize and become something mm-hmm. like they can, I can build them up to be worse than they actually are. Ooh, um, can
0: I ask you something? Mm-hmm. Do you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be loosely paraphrasing words that my partner has said, but oftentimes when we get to this place of disclosure and we're opening up about things, some one thing that he'll say is it sounds so silly now that I'm saying it out loud. Do you ever have that experience? Um, I, mean, I even say that up to myself sometimes when I'm talking things out.
1: When I'm, so when I'm talking things out, like I'll often, in talking them out, realize that something I was thinking was silly. Mm-hmm. But like I probably didn't express it in the first place. So it never got out.
0: You're saying you wouldn't necessarily vocalize the thing that is silly.
1: I might realize that what I was thinking was silly, but then just keep it to myself.
0: Okay. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. But you still have that. I mean, I think that's part of of what processing entails, Mm -hmm. really. Emotional processing is kind of being like, wait a second. If I actually play this thing out, instead of just dancing around the feeling and just letting the feeling drive a sense of like, you know, whatever impulsive behavior, let's say. And I actually sit down with the feeling and vocalize it and detail it. I'm like, whoa, okay. What was I thinking? Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. No. And sometimes he'll totally like clock me, but like, and he's like, what were you just like thinking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm all, no, like and you were, you were, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <That's> um, <funny. laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, Oh man what was I saying
0: I'm sorry I totally just like
1: no that's okay um
0: you said you said you, you you would oftentimes oh, realize it without necessarily vocalizing when something is silly
1: oh so, no but uh what I was um, but like it helps me to talk through things and that's how I de-escalate um, it doesn't have to be that he's like oh I love you I'm sorry you are wonderful blah 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 it doesn't have to be reassurance in that way mm. but it just has to be like It almost, like, the reassurance that he's willing to come together and resolve an issue um, um, and, like, talk it out with me, um, that's almost enough. And in that, like, I can reassure myself as I'm talking things out. But if I'm alone trying to, like, self-soothe, I have a hard time reassuring myself and I will often, like, work myself up. Um,
0: Which ultimately, that aligns really well with the attachment style itself. It's that you need... You sort of desire the presence of another in order to find your self-soothing mechanisms, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't require a ton of heavy lifting from that person. Yeah. Whereas the avoidant person prefers to be alone to be given the opportunity to sit and process their feelings. Yeah. For sure.
1: Um, And so, like, one time he was like, I need an hour, and I was just like, all right. And so, like, I went and I, like, tried meditating, um, and I was just, like, trying to, like give myself affirmations and stuff. And, like, uh, like it's all just hopeless. Um, <laughs> and finally, like, and I kind of, like, protested. I'm all, so you just want me to suffer for an hour. Like, is that what? And he was all, well, do you want to do this right now and I just suffer? And I'm like, well, um, all right, well, like, fine. You go and have your, like, hour of zen while I'll just be over here dying inside. Um, and, <laughs> and so, like, in his, like, hour, um, he went and started Googling and he, like, um, I guess, I guess his, like, search was, like, um, why does my partner, like, have a, I can't remember what it was, something about, like, why does my partner, um, feel worse, um. With space, when, like or like, and I feel when, like I feel when, I, when I feel better like or something it, like that,
0: isn't space good for both of us?
1: Yeah, and he found he found something that told him that explained in ways a way that he can understand that like uh, what I was trying to explain, and realized that like he was like, while I understand that I feel better with space, I now also understand that it hurts you. Um, when we're having it when we've had a fight to take space um, And so maybe how about we compromise and if you can give me like 15 minutes of space um, I promise that if you can at least give me 15 minutes I will come back after 15 minutes and we can mm. talk it out like you would like to do
0: That sounds like a lovely compromise. So that, did that feel satisfactory for you. Yeah, Okay, nice. So you were like an hour it was almost a question of magnitude at that point. It was like an hour is like an eternity when I'm in this state. But fifteen minutes at least only feels like a little bit of a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, wonderful. Um, yeah, I could see that being a similar exercise that I mean I I actually I think I'm often one not to interestingly I don't take space. Um as much as I identify as an avoidant, avoidant in, in so many other respects, I, I actually do, when we're, when we're in person and there's an, it's, it has a lot to do with if there's time to handle it in that moment. I, so maybe it's having to do with my highly procedural and time-based approach to how I spend my, where I put my attention and my time. So if I feel like I don't have time to deal with a heavy emotional conversation or the mental resources to do so, I will be like, I can't do that right now, which I suppose in some way, like, I think you could see it as shutting down. Um, I think You could take it from a bunch of different angles. Like you could see it being like, well, when you, if you can understand the urgency of a, a heavy emotional conversation is important Then maybe you do make time for it. But there's part of me that's also like, I'm thinking about my life and my workload and the amount of energy and resources I have, energetic resources I have. And truly, because having emotional conversations has a much longer afterlife for me, in my experience, than my partner, Mm -hmm. we will have a tough conversation. And reach some kind of, if not a stalemate, if not a resolution, at least a stalemate of being like, let's both agree that like we're not going to solve this, but let's find a place where we can both be a little more at peace with our with our situation. Yeah. When that happens, I've f- I found that my partner bounces back from those moments up and down, up and down, up and down. Which you could argue is a strength, in a sense. The ability to just kind of like, being really in the dumps one day and then be really just fine the next day. But I have, in in my experience, found that really challenging because the, the narrative that's been painted in my mind is I'm kind of like, okay, oh my God, like I felt like I just got dumped with all of this intense dissatisfaction or whatever, hard feelings. And we have this, I try to dedicate time and we talk about it and I'm left feeling the negative effects of that conversation for days on end. It gets to a point where I'm still processing. I can't really stay focused at work. I can't really put on a smile for people who I need to put on a smile for, right? Meanwhile, my partner wakes up the next day and is like, "Oh my God, it's a much better day today. I'm doing great," and I honestly feel upset. I'm like, "This feels unfair," right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because that sounds
1: like our experience. Yeah,
0: I'm still dealing with it. You know, I'm someone who is much more even keel, but when I'm just, when I'm rocked, I am rocked. Yeah. And I often find myself needing, feeling the need to fight for that, fight for that sense of stability because it's partly how I operate. I work very hard actually to remain emotionally stable. And I don't believe that it's the same thing as being emotionally numb I think I work hard to be emotionally stable because I am my most productive self when I am emotionally stable. Mm -hmm. So like, does that mean that I'm going to try to actively shut down? Like, I'm not trying to ignore when we're having necessary tough emotional moments and conversations. Mm -hmm. However, there is, I think, a certain kind of reverence that comes with "This this is someone who cannot bounce back the way that you can. So there is maybe a need uh, on my end, a need (coughs) to have more boundaries Mm -hmm. around what I am letting affect me. But at the same time, the mutual ask is please be careful about when you decide to drop a bomb on me because I don't recover the way that you would recover Mm -hmm. from these moments. Right. And out of respect and love for my ability to live my life, my own life outside of this relationship we've got to have some we've got to have some frameworks around how that operates how that works
1: anyway it's really hard
0: yeah it is hard
1: as the um person on the other side Mm -hmm. like uh um like what you see on the outside it generally is somewhat suppressed mm. from what is being felt on the inside like there is some level of control it might not seem like it
0: <laughs> some level of what? but
1: there is some level of control um, being exerted to contain it um, definitely even though
0: absolutely it, it's, just, it's a discipline of sorts
1: even though it still is very up and down um, oh. it is like controlled some.
0: You have to clear you have to
1: like because as You uh, mean um, emotional stability? Like as the person who is the one who's more up and down and will like have a tendency to bounce back from an emotional conversation a lot faster. Yeah. Um like um and it can probably seem like it's just like a lot of just like up and down um they're general like even you're saying that even that it's felt, re- is
0: requiring control, yeah, just to be that even yeah, gotcha
1: um and like internally things are a lot more intense um than they even though they seem intense on the outside they're um,
0: even that you're saying that even that is almost like a filtered version yeah. of what's actually happening
1: uh-huh mm-hmm. Um fair. Okay. And it's uh and it's like for us it's not a skill that we ever really learned um or were taught like to be able to compartmentalize and um and like restrict really mm-hmm. like restrict things mm-hmm. um to keep them level. Mm-hmm. Um or it's either just not a skill that we can truly possess. Sometimes I wonder, Mm. um, like,
0: you think so? I think compartmentalization is, is is a learnable skill.
1: I think that it can be practiced and honed. Mm. Um, but I don't know that we would ever could ever be, could ever do it in the same way that you can just
0: naturally. Fair enough. Um, very much like again i'll paint the converse here which is very much like i oftentimes see myself being like i just don't know how to be that expressive i don't know how to be that i don't know how to be that devastated i don't really know how to be that jubilant i don't really know how to be that whatever confused whatever like insert insert emotion right Mm -hmm. that angry or that sad yeah right um Yeah, I look at it, and I'm like, I don't, I'm I'm like, I'm like genuinely confused by that level of, by that level emotion, of emotionality, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, and I think at times, I think a little bit about my ability to learn that experience, and I'm, I'm making progress personally, but there's definitely a lot to go, definitely a lot to go. Like I, I'm learning how to, I'm actually trying to learn how to connect more with a, more instinctive and unadulterated connection with things that bring me joy. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Because what's so interesting is like you can give me a problem and ask me to analyze and solve for it and I can give you I can go for it. Then you ask me something like, what excites you? And I'm like, uh, sleeping, <laughs> right? Uh, music generally? Yeah. Um, hanging out with friends? Like all of which are very valid hobbies to have. But at the point I'm making is like, there's like, there's a certain kind of passion and joy that like, I feel in very discreet moments and they're intoxicating don't get me wrong they're lovely I love them when they're happening in all spectrums I actually really appreciate I even appreciate emotions like anger and grief and sadness there is actually a certain beauty I think that exists in all of those mm-hmm. even though some of those things are deemed unpleasant or unsavory compared to the singular emotion of joy oh. right Um. I'm I'm being a little sarcastic here, but it's like. But yeah, there's like, out of the core
1: ones, there's like one good one.
0: Right there's the one that everyone seems to just endlessly chase, and then everyone just endlessly avoids the other ones. Hmm. Huh. Well, yeah, it's like a ratio of like one to five. Truly, <laughs> truly. Anyway, um, okay, we got to bring this back. So we, I think we've, I think we've kind of gone. Well, I mean, we've obviously gone through anxious and avoidant, and I feel like in sort of process of elimination, largely identified what secure attachment kind of looks like. It's largely the middle of those things where you, even if maybe you tend to veer one way or another, you generally find your way back to center, mm-hmm. right? Is that you are, you are, uh, the, you have the ability to access emotional range, but you also have the ability to maybe compartmentalize and kind of know when's the right time and place to express those things, but not necessarily stop yourself from expressing them. Um, you can maybe, you allow yourself to be hurt, but you also are pretty open to being, to forgiving and moving on. Um, and you have healthy boundaries. Having healthy boundaries sounds like it's pretty integral to having secure attachment. It's almost like you have to develop, you have to learn and or develop a way of setting boundaries that you understand are protective of your own well-being yeah. in order to access this place of um, security so I think that to me in addition to the general recommendation to go to therapy is to develop uh, to understand boundaries and to know how to perhaps put more up where they're appropriate maybe more on the anxious side and learn how to soften and make some of them a little more porous if you're more of an avoided person mm-hmm. does that seem fair?
1: Yeah, and I think the anxious person also needs to be able to respect, respect other people's boundaries other people's a little boundaries,
0: better. Yeah. Yeah. I think lack of boundaries means that they're probably not good at setting them or respecting them. Yeah. Whereas avoidance, they're so boundary driven <clears throat> that they assume, you know, I, I think this I oftentimes think that people have put up boundaries that maybe aren't even there. So, like, not only do I sometimes hold rigid boundaries, but I also sometimes, I experience, perhaps falsely so, or prematurely so, an avoidance of me, right? Like, what the way this manifests is, I think I've probably touched on this here and there a little bit, is that I have a tendency to have a hard time approaching people. Mm. And I'm a lot more amenable to conversation when I am first approached because yeah. what that is is an explicit demonstration that this person has let a boundary down and they would like to talk to me because what i tend to ha- what tends to happen for me is that i kind of assume that this person doesn't want to talk to me right unless there is a very overt display of like hey yeah no you you over there i'm i'm looking at you and i'm t- I want to talk to you mm-hmm. right so that's i think that's also part of the avoidant personality um, we're almost at two hours here. Do we want to talk about... I mean, we touched on disorganized. Did we touch on it on on recording?
1: Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, it's,
1: it's like the least common. It's the least common. I think they say maybe like
0: 5% or less. Yeah. Can we perhaps, in a nutshell, let's make this one a little more brief. I apologize for the brevity of this category, but let's because I don't want this to go on too long yeah um let's maybe in a a, a bit more of a concise way just kind of summarize what a disorganized (sighs) looks like in comparison
1: these are people who've usually experienced like severe trauma or neglect in really early early stage of life Mm. um and uh they don't they have a really hard time even knowing how to respond in situations Um, and, uh, they're going to be more prone to, um,
0: they're going to have the
1: hardest time I think with boundaries, um, and be much more likely to be more aggressive, um, in the way that they react to things.
0: Mm. Um, and this is like a, the bullied becomes the bully kind of situation, you think? In a lot of in a lot of such, in a lot of scenarios. Yeah, they'll have okay. a
1: tendency to be like to attack more, um, when they have um been hurt, um, or they perceive um some kind of offense. Um, they're the one that's like. Um. Be, maybe their partner. Um, I don't know. Didn't. Who knows? Maybe their partner didn't like text them back or something like that and so like they threw all of their clothes out of on the lawn or something like that Mm -hmm. um yeah or
0: perhaps a uniquely uniquely chaotic or violent response that is maybe out of proportion to the events that triggered them Mm -hmm. does that seem a fair yeah okay um
1: they might be more prone to like self-harm um or toward violence, um, towards others, um, yeah, they, uh, um, they're gonna be more likely to, um, like, have personality disorders, um, and... potentially other like uh um like really difficult defense mechanisms to um to Mm -hmm. manage and get through um they're more likely to like um like engage in projection onto people Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean all can but like they Will tend to do that a lot more commonly. A lot more common. It it, it um, could be
0: maybe even to a more debilitating or severe degree. Yeah. In a, such a way that makes it hard for them to perhaps function in a satisfactory way mm-hmm. in society.
1: And they're gonna be the ones that are like gonna be the least likely to be con- like consoled. Um, they're gonna be the ones mm-hmm. that like are almost gonna have almost like delusional beliefs about what's going on. Mm. um they could be the one who like had a dream that their partner had like cheated on them in, and then they're like can't be that's um, like actually affecting their real it, lived like, life yeah um so they're could be they're, something like that that's just like an example but
0: yeah like their reality is a little distorted
1: yeah perhaps so like they or maybe they like um their partner's co-worker um like said hi to them and they're sure that they're sleeping with them Um, and so they go key their car or something like that Wow! or like yeah threaten the coworker to tell them to stay away from their boyfriend or something
0: Mm, okay so it could be a more a higher level of neuroticism around that yeah Um, and paranoia Mm -hmm. potentially so some of these heightened states of Mental emotional escalation, where it's like you're just experiencing a really intense reality that may or may not be, may or may not be present. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, how how can those people? Let's say that they. Let's say that b- because there's this aspect of distorted reality, skewed perceptions, maybe even delusion let's I would imagine it'd be much harder for someone in this category to self identify, not to mention the fact that it would be very <laughs> difficult to reconcile identifying as one of these as as this type.
1: But there's a lot of stigma.
0: Sure. So how can that be helped? How does how does one help themselves or how do they get help? Um
1: well, I mean, um, surprisingly they do tend to end up in mental health care quite Um, frequently
0: because Uh, they probably present more explicitly as having a mental health issue, right?
1: yeah uh, they might be more likely to be like they might be more likely to end up in like involuntary treatment or like uh, um, or just as a result of just like being in so much turmoil that um, they don't know what um, they just are so desperate um, and uh, they are a little more resistant to treatment um, not like psychologically or like emotionally resistant but just like they don't respond as well to treatment um, they don't get as much benefit out of it um, they're more difficult to treat because um, uh, it, it does become more a part of their personality um, than just like, a, like behavioral responses necessarily um and uh, uh, now though there is one form of therapy that tends to be the most effective for it, um, and that's dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT. Mm. Um, and so, uh, um, can
0: you briefly describe what that is?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a form of it's a one of the forms of cognitive behavioral therapy um, that focuses on so meaning it focuses on both cognitions or thought processes and behavioral behaviors or like actions um, that can be taken um, and dialectics are uh, it, or a di- dialectics are opposing ideas that can both be held at the same time um, so like um, like your partner can both um, love you but want space from you but not want to be around you Um, or they can love you but maybe they don't like you right now like uh maybe they're annoyed with you but like Mm. or a person can be both good and bad um like you can both be right and wrong like you could be maybe you're right about one aspect of this but you're wrong about another Mm. or maybe you're right your emotions are valid but your facts are wrong Uh, Mm. or like your emotions are valid but your thinking is wrong on this um it's right that you feel really hurt but you're totally wrong and that like your boyfriend didn't cheat on you. Um, like that's completely, um, that's not, you can feel uh, maybe betrayed, but like that doesn't mean he betrayed you. Um, yeah. And uh, um, so that's like dialectics. Um, um, and the focus there is radical acceptance. Um, so just like accepting that life is full of suffering um and that like engaging in the types of behaviors that you do only magnify it they're not making it better mm-hmm. um and so there are other ways to behave and engage in the world that will actually make life a lot more um like satisfying or at least less less tumultuous mm-hmm. um and those are going to be things like mindfulness um gaining skills for interpersonal effectiveness so like healthy communication and boundary setting, um, <clears throat> as well as, uh, like, learning affect regulation and distress tolerance skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, like, different things like that.
0: So I feel like it's interest. like, and you, you can chime in on this. One thought that came to mind is kind of like, with, insecure, uh, sorry, with avoidant and anxious, it's sort of like they require certain conditions be met in order to feel sort of safe. It's like the anxious needs the full attention of another person to feel that safety. Whereas the avoidant needs like separation to feel the safety. And it sounds like the disorganized, is like there's no sense of safety. And it's like the first thing we do is we figure out how to get you to a place of understanding how to become safe within yourself. And then we start working on, I mean, it's the more dedicated trauma therapy where it's like, we need to help you process what's happened to you and how that's really showing up and even your own th- your own way of even thinking about yourself
1: yeah and a lot of it i mean is like going back to the basics like we're going to start as if you are a child who never learned these skills because you are a child who never learned these skills yeah, um it's and crazy so to think about. um like they're taught how to like healthy behaviors and boundaries and they have to generally are working with a therapist who is really firm with boundaries and like doesn't um um is not acquiesce is going to have a really like um uh, solid kind of like containment uh, of their emotion sure. um
0: yeah. yeah okay i think that i think that does a good job of kind of bringing out that last piece the last category um, I will say the
1: other, the type of therapy I'm doing right now, which is schema therapy, is mm-hmm. also um, pretty good for working with attachment issues.
0: Okay. We talked, talk, you talked, you talked a little bit about schema therapy. Mm-hmm. We'll put some links to this um, in the show notes. Um, let's move to our fun little outro piece.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. First, let's, let's say this. Uh, well, this was also, this was a very expansive conversation. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, it was a great little study of like, how do we take the styles as we understand them and see them in really clear behavioral terms? And what can we, what can we do about them? How can we respond to them both both meet them with grace, but also respond to them in ways that are reparative and progressing. So I think that that was really, really good. Um, there was a question. I, I'm I'm going to say it. We're not going to we're not going to get into it. I kind of wanted to know. Like it'd be so interesting because we talked about this in romantic relationships. I would love to see how this plays out in friendships. I also would love to see how this plays out in working relationships. I feel like working relationships are unique. But I could see some of these things. I could definitely see an attachment style influencing how you show up at work um, and being a big part of understanding because I feel like there's so much out there that's studying personality at work. It'd be cu- I'd be really curious to see what if there's work being done out there that talks about attachment theory and work. Anyway, no need to answer that. Um, maybe I'll go researching myself. Um, in it it's a big
1: role in my work.
0: I'm, I'm absolutely sure it does. I think when you're already working in the social work, mental health space, it is well thought of and well considered. I'm thinking of places where emotions and the ways that people interact are generally thought to be very secondary, if not inhibitive to the success of a business. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, I'm thinking very like Wall Street. Yeah, and it's just numbers, baby. It's productivity, it's bottom lines, and kind of being like, you'd be amazed how much a bottom line can be affected by things as seemingly minuscule or seemingly granular as, the ways that people relate to one another. Right? I mean, the higher up the higher up the food chain you go, the more impactful and the more necessary it is that, I think someone with a secure attachment style is going to be much healthier for a business than someone with an insecure attachment style. That's all I'll say about that. Okay, so we Um, wanted to try out this little thing where we have a little outro to each episode. So uh, it kind of has three little parts to it. Um, The first one was posing a question to our listeners. And I think we posed one earlier. Yeah. Yes, which was... (laughs) Which was, do you think that different types of that opposing insecure attachment styles have a tendency to attract one another. Mm -hmm. Is there any other questions you'd be curious to pose to our audience?
1: Mm. I think that's a good one.
0: Yeah. I mean, besides the kind of, if you haven't already thought about, you know, maybe if you've ever applied or considered yourself in relation to these attachment styles and maybe recognize some of these patterns but that's less of a question more so just like a reflection a prompt to yeah, reflect yeah like a to, hypothetical totally it's a prompt to reflect um okay the second piece we wanted to say was we to each reflect on something that was unexpected or shifted our perspective on something care to share mmm
1: yeah um <laughs> <laughs> I hmm I think yeah I mean I think um like I was talking about how just talking through things helps me to process stuff and so I mean I was um yeah just uh of course it's not it's all stuff that's filed away in here but stuff that was unexpected to um just kind of change some of my own thinking about um like how I show up in my relationship Mm. um so that was helpful
0: Mm. and you you, so you feel like some of our conversation helped to trigger or inspire some thought about that
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah 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 what about for you
0: I could say I could say first off could say the same um, something that I thought I thought it was quirky and unexpected was mostly it was a little it was a little amusing and endearing to me that uh your your partner during his space period would literally sit down and google <laughs> how do I handle this I think it's adorable um, because quite frankly I don't often think about doing it that way um, I'm usually just relying on my own internal programming to kind of being like what, what haven't I tried what, what, what is it that this person is ne-? My, well my partner mostly most of the time but what is it that this person is needing is really asking for from me and kind of being like maybe the internet has an answer mm-hmm. um, so I thought that was kind of fun um, I don't know like I guess a perspective shift I, I continue to it's interesting to continue to learn from other people who are of the of the anxious who identify as more of an anxious attachment I, f- I also I would say I could stand to learn just as just the, as much from connecting with other people who identify as avoidant you know like if I had the same conversation with your partner I imagine there'd be some very different some very different points being made probably a lot of being like oh my god you too right or I don't know something like that or like I'm exactly like that Mm -hmm. um so I don't know if that answers it a little bit
1: yeah you have to pull it out sometimes what do you mean (laughs) pull stuff out of it the insights and the (laughs) feelings, for sure
0: for sure um yeah yeah I I think that your assessment of the avoidant I was like yeah I can definitely see how a lot of that is the case for me and kind of understanding what are some of the ways that. What are some of the ways that I would, take action for myself to improve, to keep improving, um, and the and the dual nature of working towards improvement. If you find yourself in that yin yang situation, um, okay. Last piece we'll say is uh, to, share something that's happening in our lives that we're excited about. So Matt, Wait, what's I went first last time. Okay, you want me to go first? Yeah. What's something that recently happened that I love? Um, okay, recently I went and saw this movie called Past Lives. Um, and I feel the need to talk about it here because I loved it. It's made by um, Studio A24. Mm. They've just been turning out bangers lately. And um, it's about this um, these two Korean childhood friends and... Um, sort of a budding romance and one of them moves away and it kind of talks about the, um, it explores the concept of destiny or of providence. Is it an anime? No, it's live action. Oh
1: right, A24 was, they did everything They did everything, everywhere, everywhere, everything everywhere all at once. And yes. yeah, Yes.
0: And it's a very good movie. Um, lovely little character study, very nuanced. Um, totally my style. So, highly recommend that movie. Past Lives. How about you?
1: Let's see. <clears throat> um, in two days, well, actually, so on the day of the release of this, um, my partner and I are going to California to um, spend the week with my family. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Do we have multi-generational situation yeah. happening there?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's it'll be my parents and... All of my siblings, their partners, and my nine nieces and nephews. Nine. Well, one of them won't be there, but so it'll be that's eight still of
0: plenty of that's plenty of little ones running around. Mm. And will this be his first time meeting much of the family, or has he? He's any? met
1: my parents and my sister and my niece. Oh, okay. Um, but so they like maybe half of the group. Not even like a, a quarter
0: of the group. <laughs> this is gonna be. Interesting. For yeah. Let's go That's a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And my, uh, I know I'm, my nephews were cute. Um, cause my, my sister-in-law and my brother were like, sat them down to explain to them about like their uncle having a boyfriend and bringing him like, um, and I guess this was like the first time they really like explained to them
0: oh interesting um
1: and um there i don't know what they were expecting well no i can only imagine that they were expecting some like um disgust um uh, from my nephews or something like that i don't know but uh my,
0: how, but how old are they
1: they're like i think the oldest is nine okay um so there's three of them they're they're three young um so their daughter is like 14 or 15 and she's like just determined to have gay children Um, so like it wasn't nothing, no issue for her, but then like the, (laughs) the sons, they thought that there was going to be an issue and they go, their response was, Oh, like, so if he has someone to hang out with, who's going to play video games with us?
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. That's such a like nine year old boy response, yeah. right? How is this gonna infringe on my fun? Yeah. Which, if anything, I can say is a, is a, su- a surprisingly pleasant response. Yeah. In comparison to all the other things that could happen. Yeah. In response to that, I don't know. I I wonder about like little boys and girls nowadays. I mean, I surely in progressive areas, I feel like little kids are coming out at like they're like oh my god. Yeah. Like, out of the closet at like twelve years old. I mean, um, even
1: that, like... Like, uh... Um... I mean, I feel like summer even coming out younger.
0: Younger than that. Mm, for sure. Well, I'm excited for you and your family visit. I hope it goes great. hmm And, uh... Yeah. Have a wonderful week, and we'll come back, and I think we'll be just in time to put out another one of these. So... That's where we'll wrap up, everyone. Um... This was a... This was a real... This was a real slugger of an episode. And I think we're going to keep it as one, aren't we? Yeah. You'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But that's it for for now. So that was Attachment Styles. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I certainly did. Um, And we will see you guys next time. Yeah. See you later.